Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of entertainment. I'm Cynthia Littleton, Managing Editor of Television for Variety. Today, my guest in New York is Discovery, Inc. President and CEO David Zaslov. Zaslov has long been known as one of the cable industry's biggest boosters. He sits atop a large portfolio of lifestyle channels that grew this year with the acquisition of Scripps Networks Interactive, the home of Food Network, HGTV, and other blue-chip TV brands. What's interesting about this interview is the degree to which Zaslov admits that the linear channels business is in slow decline. Discovery is now going long in the IP business. Zaslov wants to amass content and brands with global appeal that can be sliced and diced in many ways for consumers, linear and streaming. Zaslov offers details about the script deal and recent investments in professional golf and Olympics outside the U.S. He gives a candid look at how his mindset shifted about five years ago after he was challenged by none other than John Malone, a major Discovery shareholder, to answer the question, How well would we do if people could watch whatever they wanted? David Zaslov, CEO of Discovery, Inc. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Cynthia. Just looking forward to it. So as we, as 2018 winds down, I look at Discovery, I look at your stock has had an incredible run this year, and I look at a company that is very different as we close out 2018 than when you began 2018. Of course, you had a big acquisition. You completed the acquisition of Scripps Network Interactive, which brought you a lot of great brands and talent and channels to put under your big roof. You've done a lot of deals, a lot of activity overseas in the sports and OTT space. And I know you have a lot of, you know, you have a lot of plans to come for the domestic market. Right now in media, there seems to be a there's a there's a pressure on traditional media giants to transform, to diversify and transform. Do you feel the pressure to transform the business that has been so successful for Discovery for the past 25, 30 years? Uh, no question. Um, you know, media right now is a it's a street fight, and uh, I'm a fighter. I love it. I love the business. Well, you got to look for every opportunity to train. You got to look for every opportunity uh, to create some wins and momentum. Um, it's been a great, great year for us. But when you talk about uh, traditional media, we really uh, we were having quite a run as a traditional media company. When I say we were mo- mo- uh, cable and free to air uh, around the world, um, I've been here for twelve years, and for the first seven years, we had a you know an extraordinary run both in the market and grow, uh, growth around the world and here in the U.S. Um, but I remember a conversation I had with John Malone five years ago. Uh, our channels were growing double-digit around the world in terms of viewership, and, uh, and our performance was strong. Our company had grown, uh, stock had grown from about $12 to 80, 80, 80 or $85. So we really felt like we were in stride. And John and I talked about the future. And uh, he turned to me and he said, okay, we've grown all of our share. Um, How well would we do if people could watch anything? And I thought for a moment and I said, uh, we've made a lot of progress in the last seven years. We went from 5% of viewership in the U.S. to 13. And I said, I think we'd probably be back to 5 because a lot of our content 
It's great quality content, but it's second choice, a lot of it, and our brands aren't strong enough. And so it was that day, five years ago, that we began the fight to change ourselves from a traditional media company to an, a global IP company. And we started to change the kind of content that we bought, produced, and we changed the way we looked at our brands. And uh, it, that journey got us into sports in Europe, where we bought Eurosport, two to three sports channels. It, it was one of the reasons we bought the Olympics. In each case, the question was not how would this do at 8 o'clock at night, but is this content that people would watch if they could watch anything. And in the last year or two, it's gotten really a, a, a more uh, a tougher question, which is will people pay for this content before they'll pay for dinner? That's why we bought the rights to the PGA Tour everywhere in the world outside the U.S., uh, that's why we bought most of the cycling in Europe and most and, and all the majors in tennis. And that's why we're doubling down and, and continuing to invest aggressively with Oprah. And candidly, that's why we bought scripts. And this has been a great growth year, but we were a misunderstood company. Because when we bought scripts, people thought we bought scripts to get more linear channels and to get synergy. We saw scripts as an IP company that hadn't been really... Uh, that hadn't been taken advantage of globally. So we saw it as food, home, cooking, travel, and, and, uh, and do-it-yourself. They owned all that content and hadn't been used globally, but, but not just as a linear play, but in, in the new world, when you look at food or you look at home, aren't people going to want to consume content around those genres everywhere in the world on all devices? And so... Um, it's been five years, and we got a long way to go and a lot to learn. But we, we are in—we we made a real, I think, uh, we've had some some real acceleration in in changing the way our company is seen and saying and the way our content is consumed here in the U.S. and around the world. And that's why I think our stock has has uh, has really improved. What would you say, what do you think was the impetus five years ago? Was it the rise of Netflix, the, the rise of these on-demand streaming services? No, at the time, it really was the screen on the phone. And it was the idea that we were really fighting o over for the real estate of the TV set. And that's why we had such a hell of a business. We had, you know, uh, we, we had gone from having four to five channels in 150 countries to... 10 to 12 channels in over 200 countries. And that was like beachfront real estate. So if you put the TV set on in Italy and there's 50 channels, we have 12. And, you know, that was that concept uh, existed, you know, everywhere in the world. And we were probably the most international media company. Um, and we had boots on the ground. And so we had a great gig. And because we were in a, uh, a, a this kind of walled garden, if you wanted to consume content, there's only 50 channels. It, it really it, it encouraged this idea of, uh, well, we got 12 of the channels, so we don't have to make each of them great. We can make them pretty good, and people will be clicking around, and they'll run into it. And it was the screen that got, got John and I and our board saying, people are starting to consume video content. It's not that far away. And in the end, people are going to be able to choose to watch anything they want on this screen. Plus, you know, more and more people were, were moving toward the DVR on television. 
And then you had the beginnings of, of Netflix. And so there were more choices and there was more of ability to choose and to say, what do I really want to watch right now versus what's the best of what's on? And so that was kind of the beginning of this really, it was a philosophical change, but it changed everything in terms of the way that we look at IP and then the way that we acquire IP and the kind of assets that we would acquire uh, within Discovery. And you clearly have bet big in many markets on sports. Eurosport in, in Europe, I know, is a huge priority for you. The PGA deal. Can you talk a little bit more about how the PGA deal came about? Did you approach them? Did they approach you? You have broad rights to, to all the PGA golf events in markets, if I'm not mistaken, everywhere but North America? Right. Everywhere but the U.S. So we have Canada, we have South America. Um, sports came about because we just looked at the way people consume content. And if Tour de France is on and you love cycling, you have to see it. So it was this question. And if you couldn't, would you pay for it before you'd pay for dinner? And our, we were just guessing, but our sense was yes. In the same way there are super fans for Oprah and for, for Discovery and for a crime – that, that the super fans around sport was going to be a really good bet for us. And so that's one of the reasons why we pushed aggressively into uh, Eurosport. And then we, we built a player with BAM. We built a direct-to-consumer product over the last four years. And on there you can get the cycling and the tennis and some of the uh, football with soccer, handball, Olympic sports. Um, and we started, we learned a lot. In fact, we sat in this conference room, made a list of the 10 things we thought we knew for sure about the direct-to-consumer business, and eight of them were wrong. <laughs> because the way people consume content on a phone or on a device is a lot different than the way they consume content on a TV. And that's what led us to the PGA. The, the uh, Eurosport player has been quite successful for us, and we think we could take it to the next level. But it's like a buffet. We, we have a group of sports, and for $10 a month, you can, uh, you can get all that stuff. So you're watching the French Open, and then the next month you're watching Tour de France, and then you're watching the, the diving championships. And people like it, but the churn was high, and we started to talk to people about it. And they said they like the Eurosport player, but often one of the reasons that they churn or leave is that they came for the tennis, and, and there isn't tennis for another three months. Or they came for the cycling, and the cycling season is six months. And now they can, you know, they like the other sports, but they'll, they'll subscribe again when the cycling starts. And so we found that, one, you need, if you, if you can have all of a sport, it's pretty compelling. Because it's almost like a magazine for people that loved golf or love tennis. They want to consume it all the time. They're real super fans. Uh, and you have to have a lot of it. We also saw what Adam Silver did with basketball. And baseball, very successful because you have you know, hundreds of games. And so we looked at golf, um, and we said, it's every week. There's multiple tours. There's live content all the time. It's a very good demo. And more than half the people on the PGA Tour are from outside the U.S., and it's the premier tour everywhere in the world. So I approached uh, Jay um, Monahan, who's the commissioner of uh, the PGA, um, but he had already been studying us. Because he was looking at how w the fact that uh, Discovery is the most global company in the world, and we have because we have ten channels in every country and we're the leader in sports in Europe, we, we have an ability to promote to our to consumers products that we have, and we, and we can 
create content in 52 languages. And so when I went to see Jay, um, we talked about our ambition to take golf globally. And Jay talked about why his ambition was it needs to be in every language. It needs to be promoted, and the characters need to be promoted on traditional platforms as well. You need to let people know about it. You need channels to tell people you should sign up for this. And so we were really like a perfect match. It sounds like the PGA felt like their rights were underexploited outside the U.S. Yes. That they really needed to raise that profile. And they needed to go with a company that already had experience going direct to consumer um, and believed in it. Um, and for us, you know, we were already all in with this idea that, you know, the PGA globally, and we're going to make some announcements in the next couple of weeks where we'll add to that. We think creating a whole ecosystem around a sport or creating a whole ecosystem about around food or around home or around cooking, that's the way to go. And golf, I think, just gives us a great opportunity to do that. And we're also, uh, you know, one of the things that differentiates us from everyone else is that we own almost all of our content everywhere in the world on every platform. So most media companies own the U.S. rights, so they own the linear rights. So if Verizon offers the NFL on mobile, they get it from Roger Goodell. They don't buy it from from one of the uh, the networks that own uh, rights to it's the NFL. It's not a sub-licensing kind of thing. Right. right. And so our philosophy is we're a global IP company, and the more great IP that we could aggregate globally, it gives us a chance to do what uh, Facebook and Apple and Google and Amazon and Netflix have done, which has created so much leverage and wealth creation, is that they go above the globe. They're able to take IP and essentially go everywhere in the world and say, if you love this content, it's like it's up there in a cloud, anywhere you are in the world, you can, you can hit your, a button on your phone and you can watch this. It's completely different from the way our business started with local franchises. And so with the PGA, with the exception of the U.S., we're above the globe. And with all of, almost all of our other content, food, home, science, crime, we're above the globe philosophically. And the above the globe allows you to amortize these incredibly expensive rights, whether it's for content or sports or is, is that, I mean, that's the calculation. Because the Netflix example is great, but we all know Netflix isn't making money. How are you going to make these, really turn these into businesses? Well, one of the things is that we're really in a different business than most companies in media because most media is in scripted series and scripted movies. So if, 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 if our business was a soccer field and it was, and, and I was going to my, my, uh, my son's soccer game when he was young, you know, scripted series and scripted movies would be the ball. And almost everybody would be surrounding that ball and fighting over the ball. <laughs> right. We're the rest of the field. And so, you know, our cost of content is a tenth to our average cost of content is four hundred thousand, four hundred and fifty, five hundred thousand an hour. The average cost of content for scripted is, you know, five five or ten million. And you walk in the door, yeah. And they're all competing for scripted uh, content in scripted movies and series to build, you know, an HBO, a, a competitor to HBO, Showtime, Netflix, all of these stars, all these very compelling direct-to-consumer offerings are starting to look very similar. They're scripted series and they're scripted movies. But if you're a consumer and you want to consume content 
If it's scripted series and scripted movies, you have 10 choices for between 10 and $15. But if you want to consume something else that's quality, that you love, what's the rest of the stuff? And that's what we see. That's our field. So if you love science and natural history, you can get that from us. If you love Oprah, you can get that from us. This is in the long term. If you love food or home, if you love golf, if you love cycling. And so we see ourselves almost as like a magazine rack. Right. Whereas, you know, the most of the rest of the industry, they're kind of Entertainment Weekly or they're Time Magazine. or They're, they're kind of broad platforms that give you a little, uh, a fair amount of entertainment in the scripted area. Right. And, and, and so we're about quality brands that have super fans that we hope are going to pull us. You're Bon Appetit and Town and & Country and we're, lifestyle yeah, we're golf, niche. We're Golf Digest. Mm-hmm. You know, we're Oprah Magazine. And, that, you know, those magazines, most magazines are going to go away. And people are going to be having, they're going to be consuming content. And they'll get up in the morning and... You know, we think with golf TV, they'll get up in the morning and they'll hit the golf TV app. They'll read about golf. Maybe they'll book a tee time somewhere. They'll, they'll In the afternoon, they'll pull it down and there'll be more articles about what's coming up this weekend or about, about which players are hot. Uh, there'll be instructional video if you want to work on your putting. And then on the weekend, you'll be able to choose what tour you want to watch. And you can watch it on your phone or you can watch it on any device. And um, So we think the possibilities... By owning this IP, is it, it, the compelling possibility is that uh, we can now go direct to consumer with this. But we also have the optionality that if Apple wanted to go, they're already above the globe. They're already in business with five, six hundred million people that they have credit cards and they're selling them product. If they want to sell IP to people everywhere globally, you know what company could sell them content with characters they know, brands they trust. Uh, and and stories that they that they would want to watch, you know, in in all these different areas, and you could choose. And so, whether it's Apple or Facebook or Google, um, there, you know, or, or us doing regional deals. You know, uh, I was with um, with with uh, Hans the other day from Verizon. They have 110 million phones. Randall, you know, these are two great executives between the two AT&T of them. AT and T and Verizon. Yeah, between the two of them, they have 225. Uh, million homes, I mean uh, devices, uh, screens. And so how do we get our stuff on those screens? And so we can do it ourselves or we can sell to all the regional players or the global fan companies, you know, depending over the next couple of years what they feel that they need. But we're starting to see now for the first time that a lot of the, the, the big cable, satellite, and mobile companies as well as the fan companies, are more and more feeling like they maybe need some IP to either help their platform or decommoditize their platform. Are you having those conversations with the Apples and the Amazons that do seem such a fit for various reasons with your lifestyle-centric channels? We're talk- I mean, we're talking to everybody. You know, we'd like to be on every Verizon phone in America, T-Mobile phone, uh, AT&T phone. We'd like to be all across Europe on Deutsche Telekom and Vodafone. We're a little early. You know, I think um, philosophically, you know, we've made the decision to go IP long. So we do, we, we sell very little of our content uh, to other distributors. We're holding all of it because we think someday, you know, the ability to go sit down with Amazon and do a deal around food and cooking in the kitchen with Alexa. 
if globally. Want, is, globally. That's the, that's and if the we did that, holy grail. And they said to us, okay, well, how much of your stuff, uh, your recipes and your short form and your long form content, can can we get day one? We would say all of it, and it's already in you know X number of languages. And so we haven't been selling it. There are other media companies, and these are this is also a, a good model, which is create the content, hold it for your linear platform, and then sell it off everywhere in the world. But So we're, we're IP long, and we think in the long term, you know, being an IP company will, will, uh, will create a lot of shareholder value and also make us a sustainable growth company because if we're right, then the mobile companies, the satellite companies, and the fang companies over the next couple of years are going to say, I need some more good stuff really good content or great stories that people love and they'll look around and they'll say let's talk to Discovery they have all this great women's content or great lifestyle content or great sport content and and at that point it'll you know our whole company will look different because our content will be we won't be just we won't we won't have just a growth company by putting our content on free to air channels and cable companies our content will be on the billions of screens and they'll be, they'll be pushed by the regional players or the big fan companies because they'll want that content in order to uh, to c- delight their customers. It sounds like the, the the scenario you're sketching out sounds like the fan companies become a next generation Comcast or Cablevision that they become or Netflix. Um, is that kind of that is your sense of their ambition in the video space is to kind of become those aggregators it's 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 clear that the platform companies those that have built broadband and phone and cable um, th- when they compete they look very much alike and so more and more they're looking to have IP to decommoditize their platform in Europe a lot of the mobile companies bought the football bought, bought the soccer in order to to differentiate. So if you bought BT, then you got all this great football. Um, You have T-Mobile giving away uh, Netflix to customers. You have Randall doing AT&T Now, a bunch of free stuff to the best users. So if that trend continues, I think we see it on both tracks. We see the big platform companies in Europe, Latin America, Asia, the U.S., that have invested in building broadband, phone, and cable they're going to need some special stuff for the broadband users or the phone or, or their mobile users. And we'll have a full menu to say, hey, you know, in language, w- w- what do you think would help you? We're, we're open for business. And the fan companies are more and more trying to get people to spend more time on their platforms or to love them. And, you know, one Which of the can things, be hard at times. <laughs> it's hard, you know, right? And, 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 and maybe because of what's going on now, having more great characters, great stories, or if you're a super fan of science and you can go uh, to, to one of those fan companies and get all kinds of great stuff or get all kinds of great stuff on food or home, that could, you know, that could be quite appealing. And so we're betting that between the fan companies and the regional platform companies, that there's going to be a market. But we're, we're not, that's not where we're putting all of our chips. It's one of the reasons we're going ourselves direct to consumer with a lot of our businesses. We, we have a, a, a business called Motor Trend On Demand, where we aggregate all kinds of car content. We're, we're the largest provider of, uh, of car content, long form, plus short form, and then we have loads of car auctions, and then we own 
the Motor Trend brand and trucker and automobile, and we put it all together in a direct-to-consumer product, but we're doing it with sports in Europe, we're doing it with cars, uh, we're doing it with golf, we're doing it with, we're going to do it with cycling, uh, we're going to do it with tennis, and so these are all, we're not going to wait for someone to put us on their superhighway. We're going to start ourselves. And in creating those ecosystems that you say around genres and around fan bases, it, it sounds from what you're saying that this is really that this is really a streaming world. That the linear that the the linear TV channels, which are still so strong and generate so much revenue now, that those are increasingly not the rear view mirror, but they are in your future plans are much more about a streaming on-demand world than servicing a linear channels. Is that fair? Well, we're able to do both now. So right now we have a, our, our company is growing with our, our cable and free-to-air channels around the world. Um, we're making over a billion dollars outside the U.S. Our channels are quite profitable. And when you look outside the U.S., subscribers, you know, with all the noise, are still growing 2 to 3% globally. And so uh, people are spending less time consuming content on television. You know, it, th- there is a secular decline. There's no question about it. Subs here in the U.S. have declined, although that seems to be ameliorating. And we think with skinny bundles, you know, it may, it, it may true up to look more like what things look like globally, that instead of down three, maybe it's down one or even or up one. But it's fair to say that uh, we think we have a nice, sustainable uh, growth business with our traditional channels around the world, but we think it's very important to get a relationship with the customer, either for free, advertiser-driven, or get their credit cards for those that love a particular area, and we can super serve them. And that that combination could be really combustible in a in a way of creating huge value, where we have a tr- a traditional business that may be in decline. But our, our company itself right now has never generated more free cash flow. You know, we, we, we have a target of generating $3 billion in free cash flow a year. And, and so that's off of our traditional business, and it's with investing in all this IP, and it's with investing in, in, in this content so that we own it globally on all platforms. And so we think we can do both generate a lot of free cash flow off of an existing business, even if it declines a little bit over the next several years, and then use the IP that we have to create a direct relationship with customers in a way that no one else can, because we're not, we don't have the same story. We're not saying, hey, here we are, we got great movies and a great scripted series. We have a whole different entry point with customers, which is, you love golf? We have all of it. You love Oprah? You want to spend time with us. Uh, if you love science, we have the best science library in the world. We're doing it in long form and short form. Tell us what you love. We'll give you more of it. So we think we have a different entry point. Does it make you nervous that the Nat Geo Worldwide Group is now joining Disney, the largest media company company in the world? Well, Disney is a. There's no better company in the world in terms of uh, building brands. Um, Bob's done an amazing job, and they do have a real global sensibility on every in, in you know uh, in every sense. Having said that. Um, in most markets, Animal Planet beats Nat Geo and Discovery is four or five times the size. One of the advantages that Nat Geo was getting was on the Sky platform, Nat, uh, uh, they were getting a big advantage in the UK, Germany, and Italy 
Because uh, of that connection to 21st of, Century Fox. Be, because of the connection. And so they were being uh, meaningfully uh, supercharged. So, you know, that may continue or that may, that may, that may be an opportunity for us. Um, now that Comcast is, is about to take over Sky. Right. Having said that, I think Disney is a great competitor and um, we'll have to get a little better. The good news is between Animal Planet, Science, and Discovery, um, we're much broader distributed in many markets. We have two to three channels, natural history channels on analog and they're on digital. So when you really look at Nat, at Nat Geo versus the Discovery Natural History channels and Discovery itself, Nat Geo is, uh, at least today, uh, much smaller. Let's talk about let's talk in more detail about the Scripps deal. I'd love to unpack a little bit. I know that that you and Scripps had kind of flirted on and off for a couple of years. What was it that made what was it that made the transaction happen this time around? What what was the who who made the first phone call? What was the spark that really led to that led to your deal? Um, we were we 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 had made three other attempts <laughs> at Scripps. Um, and uh, the family wasn't ready to sell. So at those times they at said those no. Times, okay. Sometimes it was after a significant, uh, uh, a meaningful period of time of discussion, and sometimes it was pretty abrupt. You know, we're, we're just not ready. I think the uh, the decline in the marketplace probably had an impact on the family. The fact that they hadn't um, broadened out internationally. You know, we saw, for instance, in Latin America. Uh, we have 12 channels in each country, and we have a channel called Home and Health. It's the number one channel uh, for women in, uh, in, in Latin America on cable. And we launched that about nine years ago. It's, it's effectively uh, like HGTV, food, and health put together. Uh-huh. Um, they hadn't gone down there, Scripps. And so th- about a year ago, a year before we did our transaction, they decided they wanted to try and launch some channels in Latin America. But all that was left was digital tiers uh, that you had to buy through. And so I think they recognized that they had built a fantastic business in the U.S. with great brands and a great leadership team. Ken did an extraordinary job with that company and really understood storytelling and brand and had to nourish an audience. But they hadn't invested outside the U.S., outside of... Uh, Poland, where they bought a business. And so I think when uh, when Ken looked at the business, he said, a lot of the growth is going to be outside the U.S. We're way late now, um, and I'm not sure we're big enough. And so uh, between Ken and the family, uh, they pretty quickly came to the conclusion that they were really serious this time. And it became, it became about... You know, a real. Uh, we, we thought we were in there ourselves. Overprice or uh, it was a very competitive auction. Mm-hmm. We thought originally we were in there ourselves, and then we got the feeling maybe somebody else is is in there with us. And then it turns out that Viacom thought they were in by themselves, and then they found out that you know what, maybe there's somebody, maybe there's somebody in the house with us. And uh, it took us a while until we saw each other. But we were both there. <laughs> in the and, Knoxville, Tennessee airport? <laughs> uh, figuratively. Um, and it, 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 it ended up being, you know, a competitive, uh, a competitive bid. Um, we did feel at the end that this was quite an important transaction for us because we felt that we could really supercharge 
all their IP around the globe, launch new channels, put their content on our platforms around the world with almost no cost because we already have all these channels. So we, we could actually save money from buying content and put their content on. Um, we looked at their IP and we thought this was really right along our strategy because they owned all the content and they hadn't they hadn't really uh, deployed it or, or encumbered it. So we looked at food and we thought between food and cooking uh, that we could really make something, you know, in the long term outside of channel of the channel business. We can do something that people, could, you know, would would really care about and spend time with. I mean, when we looked at food, we actually thought to ourselves um, that food is the one area where every person in every language, everywhere in the world, asks the same question every day: What's for dinner? <laughs> And not everybody asks, what's, what time is the PGA on today? Not everybody asks, you know, uh, I w- for, for seeing science content or space content. Not everybody wants to see crime content when they get up every day. But everybody asks about food. And so we saw their IP, the food, the, 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 the cooking category, the home category, all those is fitting so great with ours. It made us bigger. Uh, and... There was, we thought there'd be a lot of synergy there because we do the same things. I, I started out being a uh, business development guy at, at NBC, and we did a lot of transactions. And in the end, we did a lot of big transactions. But like when we did the Universal deal, we weren't in the movie business. That was a whole different business. We weren't in the theme park business. But they had cable channels, and NBC was in the cable channel business. And so there wasn't a lot of synergy because there was in, in, in the theme park or, or, uh, or movie business because we weren't in it. Whereas here, we looked at scripts and we said, this is exactly what we do. And we think we have a lot of the quality brands in cable. They have a lot of the quality brands in cable. And, today, and together, we have almost all of the quality lifestyle brands in cable um, and between HG, Food, ID, TLC, and OWN, we had five of the top six channels or seven channels for women. And when we, when we put it on the back of an envelope, we said, wow, you know, we, we could be the number one or two player in America on television in reaching women. And so we were convinced that this was a, uh, a transaction that could have really long-term value for us. But the street... And the narrative around the transaction, uh, as uh, when we closed it, which surprised us, was two linear TV companies coming together. It was, a little, was there was a little underwhelming response. That was the yeah. neg- there was a positive narrative, but it was there was a there was a more there was a more overwhelming negative narrative, which is two companies that aren't big enough that are going to come together. And they'll uh, and they'll they're both linear TV companies, and together they they won't be they'll be a little stronger, but they won't be strong enough. Our the way we saw it was we're an IP company. We're buying this great IP that's not deployed globally, and we could put it to build our near term linear business, but we could also have it build our IP future. And a lot of this year was about really changing that narrative, showing that. We're more than just uh, uh, our 12 ch- cable channels coming together with their six. That together we're, we, we reach more people, that we, that we have an ability to promote between our channels, which can give us real, which is unique and give us real growth, and that we could take their content around the world, and that ultimately 
they add to uh, to our menu of global IP and what we can offer uh, directly or through regional or or fang type companies when people want to consume content on a device. I know you this year, as you said, has been a lot about integration and getting the right management. What um, of what you've seen so far, programming initiatives, branding initiative, advertising initiatives? What has what would you say is like the most exciting um, development that that you can see of the two brands coming together? On the traditional side, I would say that on on any given night, um, when when you when you take we have we have three or four of the top five channels for women. And when you put together the rating of our top five channels for women, we aggregate somewhere between a four and a seven and over a seven rating for women. And uh, where advertisers used to have to gobble together a lot of different purchases with a load of different cable companies, we can offer on any given night. You have broadcasters, uh, in most cases, getting a one rating or a one five or maybe a two rating in the women's demo. And on any given night, we're we're getting a three, four, five, or six rating. And so one big reveal was that uh, that we have a very big female audience that's really engaged and that watches us live and that that's very powerful for advertisers. The second is that um, we used to spend a lot of money telling people about our shows, but we couldn't tell them. We could tell them what channel it's on, but we couldn't tell them the day and the date. But now that we own all these channels... If we have something great coming up on TLC on Sunday night at 8 o'clock, 90 Day Fiance, we could at, at 7.45 and at 7.59 run a promotion that TLC at 8 o'clock tonight on HG, Food, ID, Own, Travel, Animal Planet. We, and, and we built a, a very strong uh, uh, aggregating marketing vehicle that is distinguished because we can do day and date and we could also do it in a way where we made the decision early that we think if someone's watching uh, ID and, they, and, and it's, it's a minute to eight, if they don't like what they're watching, they're going to click and find something else. So we have no problem telling people on ID there's something great coming up on HGTV and it's, or there's something great coming up on the Food Network, a new episode of Diners and Dives you know, with Guy Fieri. And it's one of the things that last quarter, our, we actually grew a percent when the rest of the industry was down 9 or 10. And we think part of that uh, is that we were able to promote much more efficiently. Our reach grew by 50% with this transaction. And you know, also, we think we got lucky because we don't own any broad entertainment channels. And broad entertainment channels today are much harder because if you want to see a great scripted series, are you going to go to FX or TNT or TBS or USA? Maybe because they're really good channels. But you could also go you know, to so many places to watch a great scripted series. And we have, we don't have any of that kind of stuff, you know, except for with OWN, which is, which is you know, a great service for African, mostly African-American women. But our channels are about affinity groups that love food or love crime or love home or love uh, natural history. And so I think part of the industry moved in our direction. Um, we're, doing, we're doing pretty well. My last question for you, David, thank you so much for, for your time today. Um, everybody in media is talking about the M&A marketplace. Do, do you see, is Discovery a buyer? Is Discovery a seller? Is Discovery a status quo for now company? 
I love I love Discovery. Um, uh, I, I came here to to have an impact, and I, I you know on a personal level, you know I'd love to to be here for the long term, and we're building the company so that you know we have an opportunity to have real sustainable growth. And since we're doing, we're in the nonfiction and sports area, we think from a scale perspective, we have a real chance. Um, but uh, we're a public company, and there is a lot of uh, transactions. There are a lot of people you see 17 times. Comcast was willing to pay for Sky. We have a much bigger, bigger content business across Europe. Uh, Disney was very clear about wanting to get bigger internationally between the sports and our international business. We know we have a lot of attractive assets. What we have going for us in terms of sustainable growth is our company is really turning into a free cash flow machine, a lot of it having to do with scripts and us coming together. Uh, we have a target of $3 billion a year of free cash flow, and if we reach that, then over the next four years, we'll be generating about $4 billion in cash, and that'll give us the optionality of either investing in the growth businesses that we have whether it's direct-to-consumer or more traditional, of buying back our stock, of, buy, of doing our own transaction, buying some assets so that that, where that scale will help us assure sustainable long-term growth, um, or be in a position where we're, uh, we're, we're attractive if we need to be, given our set of assets uh, over the next couple of years to, uh, to be part of somebody else's big company. Free cash flow just might be catnip for some companies in the hunt for earnings. So, well, we will stay tuned, David. As always, great to talk with you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Strictly Business. Strictly Business.